You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Summers can be slow on Parliament Hill until they're not. The Prime Minister has shuffled his cabinet and it is a big one. The swearing-in ceremony was held at Rideau Hall this morning. Most of the ministers have changed their portfolios and seven backbenchers have been promoted. Yesterday's cabinet shuffle was not the typical shuffle of a government just adjusting for the fall. Almost every position in cabinet was affected and a number of former ministers announced their intention to exit federal politics entirely. So what is behind this relatively sudden move? Where did it come from? Is this a government re-examining its own priorities and looking for fresh voices and perspectives? Or is it a government looking at the polls and trying desperately to change the subject before the next election? Today, we'll break down the shuffle and the possible reasons behind it. So who's in? Who's out? And what does it mean for Canadians now and for the next election, whenever that is? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Cormac McSweeney is the Parliament Hill reporter for City News and for us, and he has actually physically spent most of today, I guess, running around, standing around Parliament Hill, Cormac? <laughs> Rideau Hall. Oh, there we go. Uh, yes, chasing down uh, the ministers as they arrived on uh, on the grounds of Rideau Hall, walked up that driveway to be sworn in in this new cabinet with this massive change. I guess how unusual is such a massive change at a point where there's not supposed to be an election looming and it's the middle of a pretty quiet summer? I would say for this government and and for many federal governments, uh, this size of a cabinet shuffle is is pretty unique. Um, You know, two thirds of this cabinet has been moved around. I think 30 of the 38 ministries have seen some sort of change. That's huge. That's major. That's significant. You don't normally see that from a government unless they're coming out of an election and they've won re-election and they decide to just, you know, sort of change everything that they had before. Uh, so it's it's pretty unique. And, and you ask why now? Uh, the big reason, I think, is... 2023. I mean, look look at how the government has been performing in 2023. Mm-hmm. It has not been good. The prime minister will not admit that. Uh, he was asked about that, but he's he is looking at the positive side of things. Uh, but, you know, from foreign affairs to the Paul Bernardo transfer, there have been several controversies. Things didn't seem to be going well. The government hit this point where it seems in the eyes of the public, at least, uh, looking at the polling numbers, Things are getting stale for the liberal government. I mean, they've been they've been in power for nearly eight years now. We're around that eight year mark. Um, it, it's hard to stay in power that long and seem fresh and new and hip. You know, you you think of that um, that Steve Buscemi meme where he's like, "How do you do, fellow kids?" Right. <laughs> but you know, that's uh, that's a very difficult thing to do. And they've sort of hit this stage now where there have just been a lot of controversies, and they're in a minority government. They're facing a new opposition leader. The conservatives are eating their lunch at the polls. Um, you know, the latest Abacus data poll has the conservatives 10 points ahead of the liberals. So 
clearly something needed to change. And even if the prime minister isn't going to admit that these are the reasons why he decided to hold this uh, shuffle now, this very much by the eyes of most experts I've been speaking with are the reasons why uh, they decided to do this and doing it in the middle of the summer instead of, let's say, in May, right? Like in May or June, when they were still just being hammered left, right, and center uh, on a number of different fronts. Um, if they did it then, it would have been so reactionary and almost admitting guilt to mm-hmm. a lot of controversies. When they give it a break and do it at a time when a lot of Canadians are not paying attention, they're enjoying their summer, they're off on vacation, uh, then, you know, the criticism, at least in the eyes of the Canadians, uh, won't be seen as bad. And when they come back in the fall, when most Canadians, you know, they're back to their daily lives, they'll be seeing this and they'll be like, oh, look at that, a new a new team I didn't even realize. Um, and so that's going to give them a bit of a fresh approach uh, for the fall. So that's partially why, uh, you know, they, they've decided to do this at this time. Before we get to, you know, who's in and who's out and and what ramifications that might have for Canadians or for the government, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and maybe it's just me being curious, but it seems like there are a number of fairly prominent, in some cases, cabinet ministers just leaving politics altogether as part of this shuffle. What is happening there? Yeah, so four ministers decided, I'm not seeking re-election. And so to give a little bit of background for the listeners, Uh, What generally happens is if you're close enough to an election, I mean, we might not have another election until 2025. The prime minister said he doesn't plan on calling an election until 2025, Uh, but it's a minority situation. Anything could happen. The deal with the NDP could fall. Um, The government could orchestrate its own downfall, so they didn't technically call uh, the election, but they were taken out by the opposition. Whatever it is, we could have an election much earlier. So the government has to be ready. And generally in these scenarios, and it's not just Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, Stephen Harper did the same thing when he was in power. And I'll I'll just mention those two because those are the only two prime ministers I've covered. Mm -hmm. But uh, they did the same thing. If you're not going to run again, tell me. Because in these scenarios, you want to make sure that you're able to put some people into prominent positions who may benefit for re-election as a result of that. It's not saying that they're not competent or qualified for those positions, but it's mainly because um, they want to enhance their re-election chances. And so, you know, let's use Omar Al-Gabra, the transport minister, probably the biggest surprise when it came out uh, that he was not seeking re-election. And he posted that video to Twitter. He decided not to run again. He said he was asked if he wanted to run again. And he he thought long and hard about it and said, you know what, I think I'm going to move on. We, we see those generally happen because the prime minister wants to know if you're going to run again. And if not, then they can make sure somebody like, let's say, Arif Arani, another GTA, a Toronto proper MP who uh, just got promoted to justice minister. He was in a tight race in his constituency in the last election. I think he only won by a couple of thousand votes in Toronto to the NDP contender uh, who was uh, nipping at his heels. So him getting a, a huge portfolio like that drastically increases his chances of winning um, his seat in the next election. And uh, someone like Omar Al-Gabra, uh, if he's not going to run, then that that could be better utilized for people who are actually going to hang around past the next election. And of course, that's going to be a theme in the government as well leading up to the next vote. They're going to say, look, we, are, we need to continue our work and having a team that's actually going to be there after the next election kind of makes sense. I will p- sort of point out that when all these uh, departures started popping up, Carolyn Bennett, longtime Toronto MP, Joyce Murray, longtime MP as well out in BC. These are some name names for the liberal government. Yeah, they're they're well known in the liberal circles. I I you know I don't know how much 
your average Canadian knows a lot of these people, but Carolyn Bennett has been around since 1997. She's she's seen a lot of stuff in politics. She's been around, and and, and I think she was very much favored by the prime minister himself. I think they got along really well, um, but it was time for her to just call it quits, I guess, and uh, she decided to leave. You know, it just, it, it sparked a memory and there are different scenarios. I'm not going to say it's the exact same or the outcome is going to be the same. So don't, you know, read too much into this. Uh, but at the end of the Harper government, when it was this, I think at the spring before the fall election in 2015, uh, we had a number of ministers just say, you know what? I'm out. And I guess they saw that they probably weren't going to win re-election and they decided to take off. Um, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen in the ne- next election for the liberals. A lot of different variables, totally different governments, different things are going on. Mm-hmm. I think the more interesting story are, are the ministers who seem to be wanting to run again, but were kicked out. Seven ministers in total were removed from cabinet. Four of them said that uh, they were not running again in the next election. So these, those were easy ones for the prime minister. But three of them, got the boot by the prime minister. And that that is interesting because there's still this question mark over those people. Let's start with that then before we get into who's running what, aside from the people who are voluntarily exiting, who's got the boot and do they have anything in common? Yeah, so, I mean, this is not a big surprise. Marco Mendicino, the public safety minister, has been removed. Right. I think everybody expected at the best he would be demoted to a really low uh, cabinet portfolio and uh, maybe serve his time in the penalty box before uh, getting up there again. But that's not what's happened here. He's been given uh, his walking papers from cabinet. He's still going to mer- remain an MP. He said that in a statement that uh, you know he wishes uh, the new minister well. And uh, he, it was an honor to serve, et cetera. But, you know, he was dealing with the Paul Bernardo transfer issues. Mm-hmm. There were some controversies around the Emergencies Act uh, when it happened, uh, when he said that uh, they got the advice from uh, police forces. And then each police force said, no, we didn't. We didn't say that we wanted it. And then foreign interference is another controversy that he had been having to deal with. Uh, so all of these things sort of added up and he was given the boot. The bigger ones, though, are Justice Minister David Lametti just being kicked out of cabinet altogether, which was a surprise. Uh, And then Mona Forche, Treasury Board President, who did have a little bit of a rough time uh, when we had the public servant strike. And that was sort of fell fell into her file. And I'm pretty sure this government didn't want to be the enemy of public servants. Um, After all, they had campaigned back in 2015 on being the friend of public servants again after the Stephen Harper government did a lot of battle with public servants. And so that was an issue for her moving forward. Um, Interesting to move her out as well. She was the National Capital Region uh, Minister, the lead person for the Ottawa area. So she's gone now, uh, but they do have Jenna Suds in another Ottawa area MP who's now in. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a big question mark over David Lametti and Mona Forche. Uh, at least Marco Mendicino, you can point to many reasons. But uh, there are still some big question marks over all of this. And one of the first, actually, I think the first question to the prime minister after the swearing in was, why did you ask these people from your inner circle? And he didn't directly answer. He just uh, mainly talked about how his new team was pretty awesome. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to be, I think, questioning that a lot, especially in the fall when all the MPs come back and we have possibly David Lametti and Mona Forche coming in. We'll be asking them what they were told by the prime minister as to why they got released. And maybe we'll find that out beforehand uh, if they're taking any interview requests at the moment. Now we can talk about who's in as in who's a newcomer to cabinet and also about uh, the multitude of people who have new jobs in cabinet. I won't 
make you run through who has each of the 38 positions. Um, <laughs> if people want to see that, it is uh, available with your reporting on citynews.ca. Um, we don't have time to go through all of them, but as uh, these changes were being announced, which ones stood out and maybe either high-profile people, high-profile positions that kind of reek of uh, important files to come or key strategy for the government? So one big one that happened, aside from the ones we've already talked about, about people moving out, Anita Anand uh, has been removed from the defense file and put into Treasury Board as the president of Treasury Board. Very interesting choice, considering we have this global effort to try and support Ukraine in its war against Russia. Now, Anita mm -hmm. Anand came in uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic and really got stuff done when it came to procuring vaccines. She was brought in and all of a sudden things were moving really quickly. And if you look back, I mean, Canada not being a big producer of vaccines, all of a sudden getting the millions of vaccines that we got in such a short time frame compared to most other countries was remarkable. Then she was brought in to change the culture of the military uh, during, you know, uh, the ongoing issues around sexual harassment, misogyny, et cetera, uh, that we've been seeing in the military. She started to, to continue the work on that and she was expected to be the fixer to get it done. Then she had to deal with Ukraine. And then now she's just been moved to Treasury Board and it left a lot of people scratching their heads. So that's a big one. You know, they're pitching it within government as, as a part of an economic front bench, an economic team. So she's joining the innovation and finance ministers to uh, tr and the trade minister to tr really try and turn things around. But Treasury Board is, is mainly and more about internal government spending rather than, you know, external help for Canadians. But maybe there will be an expansion there. Um, Bill Blair takes over defense. Um, an interesting choice. He did have some struggles in, in, in public safety. He's been working in emergency preparedness. Uh, one of the questions to him was exactly about the same thing that he needed and Nand was brought in to do about changing the culture in the military. How does this white man come in and be able to change the culture of the military uh, when it's in need of, of change? Mm. Um, and he responded saying, look, I was in charge of doing that as chief of Toronto police to try and diversify my force. And we made a lot of efforts and strides in doing that. Uh, and so that's the experience he's going to take to this role and continue on uh, there. Um, you know, a lot of other big choices. Housing Minister uh, Sean Fraser, he's taken that over after being in immigration. He's seen as a very competent minister within government. He's seen as a person who can get stuff done to tackle big challenges. And that's why they've moved him into the housing file. It's, it's a point of weakness for this government. They've right. been under heavy attack about housing prices, about getting housing built. Now, if you're going into an election in 2025, you got to have results by the time you get hit the electorate. Uh, you have to show that something is changing in the housing market. And so that's going to be his big task moving forward. Mark Holland moves from house leader into health. That's a big promotion for him. And you know, I got my handy list here that they handed out. <laughs> Can't tell the players without a scorecard. Yeah, yeah, I know. But there's there's a lot of different changes. Again, like 30 different ministries making changes. The other big one that I'll point out because I've been talking for too long, Arif Arani. This is a guy who's one of the seven new faces in cabinet. And he's not just jumping into cabinet in, in a small portfolio to get his feet wet and then see what he can do. He's jumping right in as the new justice minister. Hmm. He has experience. He has a background in law. He was a trial, an assistant trial attorney prosecuting genocide at the United Nations International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. So it's, he's a person who has a legal background, who, who has experience there. But, you know, running a department, especially one like justice, is a huge task. 
There are a lot of issues on the justice file, bail reform, a lot of ongoing issues that need to be addressed there. And so he's going to be thrown right into the fire. And I think in the fall, he's going to be expected to make some big waves and 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 take some action to deal with some of the ongoing issues um, that are going on in justice. The one thing that sticks out to me when you look at housing and justice and public safety are the conservative criticisms of the Trudeau government having an impact that led towards this. Because, you know, again, from a from a casual point of view, those seem to be the things that Pierre Polyev has been hammering the government on over the last several months. You know, the government, again, doesn't want to admit it. Right. When the prime minister was asked directly, like, is this really just a response to the conservatives just hammering you uh, for months now? And he said, no, it's, um, you know, the, the line from the government is that they're listening to Canadians. They understand that the concerns and issues that they have on a, on a variety of fronts, but mainly they're looking at economic issues as well, inflation, housing, affordability in, in a general sense. They say that they, they're they listening to Canadians' concerns and adapting to make sure they have the right people. Uh, I think the line that I heard was the right people in the right jobs to get the right results. And that's something I think the, uh, the prime minister kind of echoed. I heard that from a government source. However, you look at the poll numbers and slowly it's been getting worse and worse and worse for the liberal government. They've been slowly dropping point by point to the point now where we have an abacus data poll released the day of the cabinet shuffle uh, that found they're now 10 points behind the conservatives. That's a big gap. Yeah, Most experts are, are pointing out the very obvious fact that something needed to change if they wanted to turn their fortunes around. Um, and this was it in a big way, a big, significant cabinet shuffle. You mentioned public safety as well. Um, one one name I forgot to mention in those big moves was Dominic LeBlanc taking over the public safety file from Marco Mendicino. It's interesting because he also is going to keep his democratic institutions and intergovernmental affairs files. So he's going to have a lot of work on his hands doing public safety rules, but also intergovernmental affairs, which sometimes go hand in hand when we talk about, you know, bail reforms or issues around policing in Canada, et cetera, especially with the RCMP contracts. One big issue that's being discussed right now is reforming the RCMP, maybe changing its nature and not giving every province a chance to contract them as their provincial policing. Um, so that those sort of go hand in hand in certain ways. However, at the same time, that's a lot of work to be playing whack-a-mole with all the issues that pop up day-to-day on a public on the public safety file, but then also deal with your intergovernmental affairs issues, uh, negotiating with premiers and provinces to try and get stuff done on a variety of fronts. So the liberals are listening to Canadians, if you ask them, and resetting and getting ready to go forward with an awesome team. Um, what about Polyev? Is he taking credit for this? <laughs> I will be honest, I hadn't get, I haven't had a chance to watch his full news conference because he had a news conference the same time. No doubt. This whole ceremony and news conferences were going on at Rideau Hall. So I was mainly focused on what was going on at Rideau Hall. And we're chatting right now just after I got right back to the office after covering everything at Rideau Hall. But I do know that um, his his general take on this and one of the lines that I saw from his news conference was that uh, there's only one minister that matters out of all of this, one minister that should have been fired. Right. That's the prime minister. We need to fire the prime minister. Um, he did, however, say that he was also happy to see Marco Mendicino get the boot from cabinet, something that the, the conservatives and the Bloc Quebecois, I believe, both were calling for, maybe the NDP as well. Um, but there was uh, definitely a large chorus of the from the opposition saying Marco needed to go. Uh, the prime minister did that. 
that they're happy to see that change happen. But for the conservatives, it's going to be a different dynamic now. Will they then change their shadow cabinets to try and match the ministers in these new portfolios? Because the opposition um, puts people in certain files, sometimes because they're strong in those files, but sometimes it's to do battle in the House of Commons with the minister hmm. uh, directly responsible. So there's a little bit of work now from the, the opposition as well. Um, the NDP basically said that, look, the liberals have failed on so many fronts, uh, but uh, shuffling a cabinet doesn't change anything when it comes to their supply and confidence deal. And they're still expecting the liberals to follow through on that deal and uh, bring forward pharmacare legislation before the, the end of the year, which is the one thing that we're all looking for because if the government doesn't follow through, you know, Beginning January 1st, we could potentially uh, see that deal break apart, and then we'd be back into normal minority status uh, in terms of a government, and that means every single finance bill could oh potentially bring down the government. I guess the last thing that I'll ask you is when you talk to people in the know, you know, you kind of mentioned that Trudeau was adamant about not having an election before 2025, but... Does this uh, maybe show us that we should, us in the media or Canadians in general, start thinking a little harder about it now? I don't know if this specific change is that. I mean, look look at the polling numbers. Right. It makes no sense for the liberals to want to do this. If anything, they want to push this off even further because they need time right now to really improve their image with Canadians, to think of really crafty ideas for the next election that will actually bring the renewal that they're looking for with this cabinet shuffle. Because putting a new face on ministries is one thing, but you have to actually follow that up with some policies that really show that you're not, you know, this eight-year-old government anymore. Every government that lasts this long has to face the same problem, hmm. that they're looking potentially stale, possibly, um, and they, they do things like this to try and make themselves look new and fresh and address the issues of Canadians. But come election time, you know, there will be that itch from Canadians for the potential for change. You as a government have to convince them why you're the best choice. Sometimes, like the Harper government was uh, really famous for this, always dangling things right after the next election. They would announce big things in every election campaign. Well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of them that I covered, they were always saying, just help us get past the next election and you'll be thankful because we'll we'll give you this, this, and this. They're always dangling that, uh, that carrot. And this government has done similar things as well, uh, but it gets harder as you move on. I don't think we should be in election readiness mode right now because of where we see the liberal government, because uh, as well, where we see the NDP, they're not exactly doing great in the polls either. They're a little bit stagnant uh, and they still have to fundraise. They've had some financial issues over the last, uh, you know, five to 10 years. And those are things that they've largely fixed from the worst from the low points, but they they still will want to make sure they have a proper war chest and and are ready to go if they were to trigger an election before the 2025 end date uh, of their supply and confidence deal with the liberals. The conservatives, I'm sure, would be happy to go to the polls right now, um, and they would love to test the electorate at this very moment, but I don't think they're going to get that luxury just yet. But also, don't be surprised if, if the liberals 
all of a sudden spike in the polls if they find a, uh, a reason or a way to orchestrate their own downfall so that they didn't lie when they said they wanted to wait until 2025. They can point the finger at the opposition and they can still test the waters of an election uh, when they see the best benefit to staying in power and not being obliterated by the opposition. Cormac, thank you for this on a busy day and uh, we'll see what happens with all the new faces and if it leads to new priorities or not. Anytime. Cormac McSweeney on a busy day, at least for July, on Parliament Hill. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. As always, we want to hear from you. We want your feedback. We want your ideas. We want to hear whatever you've got to say. The way to do that is to find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can, as always, write us an email. That address is hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And you should, if you've listened to the end of this podcast before, know the phone number by now. Leave us a voicemail, 416-935-5935. You can get this podcast wherever you like to get them. Please subscribe, follow, whatever they tell you to do. And as always, we'd love a rating or a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.